0: We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. We're all facing new challenges, and if you want someone to talk shop with that sat in your chair, I've got you. If you want to become a legendary leader for the team you lead, hit me up, and hit me up soon. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen, and remember, don't worry We've got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high growth sales leaders share high growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Chris Barney, Chief Revenue Officer for the Utah Jazz. Under Chris's leadership, this NBA team, ranked number 24 in the market, is consistently one of the highest performing sales teams in all of professional sports. He's received awards from the NBA like new sales campaign of the year after remodeling and reopening Vivint Smart Home Arena. And in just a few years, his team, his high-performing team, has doubled in sales. Not only has Chris and his team performed well year after year, punching above their weight class, but his story of successfully navigating the pandemic is something every single sales leader can learn from. Now, as a Utah resident, I must admit I am a big fan of Chris's product. And while the Jazz have the number one record in the NBA right now, knock on wood, Chris, they also have one of the top success stories in facing the pressure of challenging times and coming out stronger. I've had the opportunity to get to know several people on Chris's team over the years, and I've seen firsthand just how effectively Chris's leadership has helped develop one of the top sales teams in sports and all of entertainment. Now, I've been looking forward to recording this show for a long time. Chris is a fantastic leader. He's one of the most genuine, most authentic people I've ever met. And I'm so excited to share his story today. Chris, welcome to our show and thanks for joining us.
1: Rob, my man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it very
0: much. Oh, I'm appreciative to have you. You have you have a, a story that's awesome anyway. I mean, what you've done in your role in, in the entertainment place is is super important. And I have never uh, had a, the head of sales for a sports franchise on the show. And I'm super glad to have it be you because now you actually have a, maybe one of the most unique stories anybody's ever had to go through. And we're going to share that today. So why don't you start by introducing yourself and your role with the Utah jazz.
1: Yeah. So, um, I've been with the organization for about 13 and a half years. I'm currently the chief revenue officer. I believe I'm in my ninth role with the organization. So I've bounced around and done quite a few things, which, uh, you know, has provided great fulfillment uh, to me in my career. Um, most importantly, I'm a husband and a father. That's the, the most important thing to me in the world. I have a, a beautiful wife and four, four fantastic little kids uh, native resident of Utah, grew up here. Love this state more than um, I, I could ever communicate to people. This is—it's it, just such a fantastic place to to live, to have a career, to raise a family, and um, super, super grateful for the opportunity I have to be in in this organization. And and it's funny—I said I talked about being a father. I, I would say. Right next to that, the the joy I get from our, my team and watching them grow and develop, I, I think is is right there along with being a father. It's things I I enjoy. So, um, anyway, it, it's uh it, it's great to be on here with you, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be fun, and and I'll echo what you said, Chris. I like I said, I I met you because I knew a couple of people on your team first, and that's how I got introduced to you. And, well, I'll tell you, I, I work with a lot of sales leaders in a lot of industries, and your team had told me many times, "You've got to meet Chris. You've got to meet Chris. Chris is amazing." I I've seen life before Chris. I've seen life after Chris, and and that attitude, that that emphasis you have on your team, it it, it has had a huge impact on them. So we'll talk about that today. So before we get started on your story, let's let's just really quick, how'd you get started in sales? One of that's one of my favorite things. I I always thought I was supposed to be a first baseman for the Dodgers, man. And um, and I ended up in sales and I met very few people that like grew up said, I'm going to be sales guy. How would you get into sales?
1: Yeah, that Rob, I love I love the same thing about people. I love hearing their their story. So I I went to the University of Utah and got a political science degree. Okay. And I worked at a law firm in Salt Lake for four and a half years during my undergrad and fully intended on eventually being a trial lawyer. Wow. I w- went so far as to take the LSAT. I applied to a couple of law schools. I was ready to roll and you know, just, just had that feeling like I wasn't going down the path I should. Um, in fact, it was a couple of lawyers at the firm I worked at who ultimately were the ones that like are like, dude, you don't want to do this. Wow. And so pivoted. Thankfully, my, my wife, we hadn't been buried, married very long, had a fantastic job. And I even even being a lawyer, I ultimately had always told people I wanted to find a way to get into sports. And what I didn't know, and it's actually something I'm trying to do now, I didn't know about all the jobs that existed in sports. Right. To your point about playing, cool. for the, about playing for the Dodgers, yeah. you wanting to do that. Most people don't realize there's an entire business side for the Dodgers when they're growing up. Right and and so anyway, had a random connection into the organization. Um, they'd had some changes at the time. In uh, let's see, we're talking the summer of two thousand seven. There'd been some changes and some acquisitions that put them in a place that they were hiring some entry level people. Well, I got to be honest with you. I'd never thought about being in sales. That wasn't my path. That wasn't right. something I thought about. Um, and and so anyway. After a couple of quick conversations, uh, I, I was hired into an entry-level level role. Um, I'm probably one of the last people in the onboarding process that was literally handed a copy of the Yellow Pages and told, like, <laughs> I, w- I, was, I was told good luck and probably dodged getting let go a couple of times just based on um, – I started in September – it was actually September 11th of 2007 – Wow. And, you know, the recession started very, very quickly after that. And so, um, probably I I was probably super fortunate that I was low man on the totem pole and, uh, you know, they were able to take a little bit of a risk on me, which telling that story now is super, super empowering to me when I can tell that story to young sellers that are starting out in their career that, um, you know, my organization was able to take a chance on me and hopefully it's paid off for them.
0: I'd say it has. And I can't wait to talk about some of the reasons why. So let, let's let get it, man. Let's get after it. Like, you know, COVID's hit everybody hard and mm-hmm. uh, we're one year past when it really like March is of last year is when it got really serious for everybody. And I work with sales leaders in almost every industry, uh, global uh, co- global base of sales leaders, everybody's been hit hard, but I believe the sports, entertainment, leisure segment got hit harder than anyone. Travel might've been hit just as hard, but those two industries, they got shut down, man. And nobody got hit harder than what you had to face as a leader, Chris. And so let's go go back in time. Let's get in our hot tub time machine, man. And uh, I wanna go back to this. uh, You're smack in the middle of what I think is one of the most interesting stories ever. It's an intersection of human interest, sports, and sales all in one place, okay? And so I want to go back in time just over a year ago. As we are recording this right now, it's the end of March. Uh, it'll probably go live sometime in the beginning of April. But on March 11th uh, in 2020, the Jazz were on the road to play Oklahoma City uh, to play the Thunder. I remember it clearly because I was hunkering down, man, at my house to watch the game. I, I'm a fan. I was getting ready to watch that game. The Jazz were you know, were, were always hopeful they're going to have a good year. They were, they were doing all right. And uh, and I remember watching the announcement that took over all stories that this NBA game was postponed not canceled, postponed. Uh, because one player of the Jazz was diagnosed with COVID, and at first they wouldn't even say which player it was, right? And mm-hmm. um, and the next day the whole NBA shut down, and then entertainment in general like it wasn't just the NBA shut down, it's like there's not going to be anything going on anymore. It happened that fast. It was one diagnosis and then boom, it was all done. And you're in charge of revenue for this big, big organization. What was that like as the person charged as the head of revenue for this organization?
1: Yeah, Rob, you just gave me a whole lot of anxiety, man. Like reliving <laughs> that. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Uh, yeah, I, just, I just I just, relived that in a, in a minute and 15 seconds, I think. Um, yeah, so let, let's go back to there. I'm actually going to go back to the week before March okay. 11th. Great. So we actually had taken uh, a pretty significant number of our suite owners at, at Vivin Arena back east to New York, starting, we flew in on March 2nd uh, with, with plans to uh, entertain this group of suite owners. We were taking them to a play to a New York Rangers hockey game. The Jazz and the Knicks game. And it was just really, it was, it kind of became surreal because we had this conversation leading up to it of like, should we take this group of people to New York City? And, uh, you know, had a pretty significant conversation internally, ultimately decided it was something we wanted to do. My wife thought I was absolutely crazy. I literally packed Lysol.
0: Really? Oh, yeah.
1: It was the very first thing. I sit down on the plane. I like they weren't handing out uh, antibacterial wipes or anything like that. I had Clorox wipes with me.
0: No mask, right? No No mask. Yeah, Yeah,
1: no mask. Nothing like that. So anyway, go back to New York. I'm there for a week. Everything's fine probably made one too many jokes about us catching COVID, why we were back there, why we were there. Oh
0: man. Um,
1: and, and obviously not knowing at all what the world was, was going to uh, hold in the next, uh, next seven days. So we get home, we played the Toronto Raptors on that Monday. Um, the The jazz lose to the Raptors. They then go to Oklahoma city. And so that Wednesday happens and, you know, on, on the business side, we really were, were obviously monitoring closely what was going on on the basketball side. And our president, Jim Olson, I'll never forget where I was at when he called me to tell me that our player had tested positive and that the game that night would be postponed. I was in my backyard. I'd just come in from the office and had let my dog out and was standing back there in the backyard with him talking on the phone to Jim. And walked back in my house, and my kids had the jazz game on the TV, and obviously you watch the events unfold, and um, we immediately go into somewhat of a crisis management mode, and you know I'm not going to sit here and pretend like what we were doing on the business side was anywhere near near what was going on on the basketball side. People's health was was obviously on the line. People were scared, but. Um, Spent the next day at the enterprise headquarters, kind of just almost as a little bit of a fly on the wall, listening to the CEO at the time, Steve Starks, was uh, engaged with uh, the the governor and with uh, Dr. Dunn, our state epidemiologist. And we were just talking about everything that was going to happen and transpire. You know, our ticketing partner, Ticketmaster, uh the number I, I was getting I mean, it's tens of thousands of live events. Wow that they that they had
0: on the books that can were I say that immediately can we, canceled. Can we, can we yeah. pause that, Chris? Not tens yeah. of thousands of tickets, tens yeah. of thousands of events.
1: Yeah, live events, concerts, Disney on ice shows, monster truck shows, immediately all shut down. Wow. So to your point you made a little bit earlier. Uh, the the rest of our games weren't canceled. They were postponed. So we went with a message to our partners that, uh, that things were postponed and we we obviously were, we didn't want to make any decisions that had reverberations with the rest of the NBA um, with the rest of professional sports teams. So it really was waiting for some guidance from the league on where we would go next. And so that There were a couple of dates there in late March, early April that the NBA initially had paused until and those continued to get pushed back until we got to the point in time in early May where you start to have some agitation between people who had paid for tickets and the messaging we were giving of, you know what, the games aren't canceled, they're postponed. And so that's where we ultimately got to where it was like, okay, guys, we got to start to batten down the hatches and we'd started to develop a plan, but it was like, we've got to enact this plan and it has got to be buttoned up and it has got to be over communicated. This is something no one has ever done before. We're going to make mistakes. This isn't going to be perfect. We're going to get our teeth kicked in a little bit, but if we do this the right way, we will ultimately preserve our base and put our our fans long-term in a position where they know we did the right thing.
0: So what that's really interesting, Chris, as you share that. You're, you're right. I mean, I remember it well. Everything was postponed, and, and everyone thought, give this two weeks, maybe a month, and this will run its cycle, right? There's a lot of people who are like, just give this some time, and it's going to going to be okay and and everything's going to flush itself out. Now, a year later, we're like, wow, everything is okay but it's changed. There's a lot of change. And so, was it hard for you to be getting um, communication? Everything's postponed. The games are coming back. You have ticket holders that thought, I'm going to be at a game next week. I've paid for this. Was it hard to be decisive? Was it it hard to communicate with so much change going on? How, How did you handle that?
1: Yeah, we were taking so much incoming and there was so much news and so much speculation about when the NBA would restart and in what form or fashion that, yeah, our, our plan had to continue to evolve. And, and this was interesting, Rob, because at the exact same time we'd asked all of our employees to no longer come into the office. So nice. this is when we were all getting used to Zoom. And Mm -hmm. people didn't have Zoom licenses. And so at the end of a 45 minute meeting, it was cutting off.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah,
1: And, and those sorts of things. And so, um, yeah, we were having to get used to all of this at once and right in the middle of this. So if we, if we move forward to that timeline, we're in May, uh, you know, our organization had to start to make some really, really difficult decisions on personnel. And so that's just was one more layer in our communication planning that presented challenges. Um because we we had this entire body of season ticket holders that like we we lost some employees and um ultimately their rep wasn't there. And so we had to scramble to make sure everyone was being communicated to. And it was, it was tough, man.
0: Yeah, it had to be tough because you have this whole sales team that's one of the very best in the business. You guys have trained them well, equipped them well, all the modern sales tools you're using um, with great success, right? And I mean, great success. And um, all of a sudden, the sales job is how do we keep these people that have paid for something Understanding that we're doing everything we, that had to be hard, man, because now you had nothing else to sell other than hang in there with us. Is that f- fair to say?
1: Yeah, I mean, Rob, I feel very, very fortunate to work for a franchise at the time that was owned by the Miller family, and you know, now owned by Ryan Smith. Like yep. they, they view themselves. It's really cool. Ryan Smith's in the same boat. They view themselves as stewards of the franchise. That this is a community asset that they happen to be the stewards of yep and and so what we found is so many of our ticket holder partners were immediately in the position of we know things are hard, we want to support you guys
0: so awesome
1: and so that that was very very meaningful uh, to us through that process and 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 I think for all the hard conversations, you could take ten hard conversations when then you had one conversation of somebody saying you know what? I really want to support the franchise.
0: So let's talk about that for a second, because I think that that part of your story, every sales leader could relate to. I mean, I I'll tell you, I was running a software company and, and the number one thing that we had to choose to do is double down on our customers. Like the new customer acquisition was also important to us, but man, what we had to do is make sure that we could support our customers and, 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 having them come and say, we want to support you. Any, any insights or thoughts that you could share with the sales leaders on how you build, just how do you get those kind of relationships with a customer where, you know, they they appreciate what you're going through and they and, and they trust you. I guess I'm rambling. I, hopefully you get where I'm going. Any thoughts on how you build that kind of a relationship with a customer where they will hang in there with you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have to build equity over time and, yeah ultimately prove that you're in the business of putting your customer first. And so I mean it, it was it was definitely I, I would say it's all all along the sales journey with with a customer, ultimately culminating with them purchasing your product and then being part of a retention ecosystem um where you're trying to preserve the relationship for years on end. And so you know it it's it's little things. We we believe with what we do, experience is at the very, very pinnacle of someone's uh, journey with us. And so making sure that they have a top flight experience at a jazz game. And that can be accomplished through a number of things. There's nothing that one of our customers makes one of our customers feel more empowered or makes them feel better than they're sitting there with the jazz game, at a jazz game entertaining some of their friends or their clients. And one of our reps walks up unbeknownst to them and delivers them a gift and thanks them for being a season ticket holder. And all of a sudden they're like, their friends are looking at them and they're like, wow, you guys are ballers. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, and it's, it's something very simple. It it doesn't have to be something huge, but um, those little touch points, they add up and they ultimately cascade to the point where people have had an experience with us that they just don't want to give up. And, Um, You know, it also, I'd be a complete liar. This is something I'm sure we'll talk about uh, over time, but we also have an incredible on-court product, and our customers and fans are absolutely in love with the dudes who play basketball for the Utah Jazz, and rightfully so. They're wonderful guys. Um, You know, the the way Quinn Snyder coaches them, the way they play on the court. And so all of those things kind of come to an intersection where people really do want to be a part of what we're doing. And so once once they, they purchase something from us, we are very, very sensitive to what their experience looks like. Because to the point you made, it's much easier to, to keep a customer than to
0: go find a new one. So what I like, I hear you say, and I, we're pausing the story here for a second, because this is a really good learning moment that I think this transcends mm-hmm. sports. This is for everyone that leads a sales team. You're not selling, you're not doing transactions. You're not just trying to run the cash register. You're providing experiences. You guys, your stadium was a whole 18,000, something like that. You got yep. you're
1: 18,306.
0: There we go. I love to be, exact. that's another lesson, less attention to detail, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's 18,306 experiences that you want to, you want to provide night in, night out. And yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take what you said and I'm going to kind of connect the dot. If you create experiences, then you're, transa- you're, you're, you're transcending the transaction. And ex- if you can continue to provide experiences that are meaningful to people, uh, they connect to you in a different way. And, and it gives you this relationship where they're like, Chris, we want to, you know, we're in this with you. You know, we're good. And so I love that area of, of, of experience. I, I can tell you as a, as a fan of your product, Uh, when I've taken my sons to your games, um, they still point to a game last year that you even remember the date of the game against the Dallas Mavericks where the jazz and the Mavericks were in like this really close game. And it came down to the last play of the game. And my sons still say it's one of the greatest games they've ever turned. And they say, dad, that's one of my favorite experiences. They use that word experience and they're just teenagers. Right. And so, I I can see why you're saying that. So every sales leader, we need to be thinking about how do we transform our interactions from just an interaction to creating an experience that makes people say, this is way more than just a deal. Fair to say? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and, our business happens to be the live entertainment business. So making things experiential becomes much easier than, than somebody selling a widget or somebody selling a piece of software. But to your point the the premise is what matters, right? If you can take the relationship one step be- deeper through, through something experiential, it changes things forever. And, You know, there's a myriad of examples of of ways in which you go to do that. One of my very favorite things that we ever get to do is to upgrade people's seats. It is you shared that
0: with me. We were at a game earlier this week, and you shared that with me. Tell that story now that you brought that up. Yeah.
1: Well, it's. I mean, it's it's not us. It's the power of our product. It's it's we happen to simply just be conduits into what the power of our product is. So occasionally. We'll have um, some tickets for a variety of reasons that are uh, closer to the court that, that might not being, be being used. Um, and what we've kind of done with our group is we go try and find fans sitting in the upper level. We're very so focused cool. on so We're cool. very focused on families in particular and we upgrade their seats. So we have a rep go up into the upper bowl and walk these fans down to seats very, very close to the court. And I gotta tell you, it is maybe one of the most rewarding things on the planet when you see the the look on a parent's face. Like we don't know what's going on in their life. We don't know if they just got laid off from their job, if they've got bad news about someone's health in their family they're there to decompress at a jazz game and they've paid their hard earned money to come watch our basketball team play. And when we can take them and upgrade their experience, it's, it's, they are things that people remember for the rest of their life. You saw it firsthand. It was a grandfather and his grandson. I mean, is there anything cooler than that, that this kid gets to go home and tell mom and dad, Grandma and grandpa and I went to the jazz game. We were sitting in our seats and some random people came upstairs and they took us down to the front row of a jazz game. Yeah, that kid, that will be a flashpoint memory for that young man for the rest of his life. And he's going to remember his grandpa. And you know what? The hope is that he then goes and plays junior jazz and that we have a fan for the rest of his life that will ultimately bring his children to a game. And that is just, to me, is literally one of the funnest things we get to do.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, unexpected things like that go a long way uh, with creating those experiences. So I, we could have had this episode be just about creating experiences that make you legendary. And I love that. I think every single one of us can sit, stop and take a step back and say, how do we give them a little more? How do we make this more than just the transaction? And and I know at the jazz, I, we could talk about like ten different ways you do that. More than that, that I've just witnessed, like with what you do with kids and families and and so many others. And I think there's a huge lesson there that every sales leader and every salesperson can stop and say, "How do I transform what I do? Uh, what's my version of upgrading their seats? Right? What's my version of it?
1: A- Absolutely, Rob. Here's what I would say about it. The thing I love about it, it becomes contagious
0: yeah we had
1: we, we had uh two years ago our CEO dubbed that year the year of the customer and so everyone was talking about it time and it's it's hard not not every salesperson wants to beat their chest not every uh retention rep wants to beat their chest when they do something cool, but we highly highly encouraged it and when a client would send a thank you note or send an email thanking somebody for what they'd done for them. We had, uh, our department coordinator print those off and put them on this huge whiteboard in our sales area so that people, when they were walking to the copy machine, they saw this entire whiteboard of thank you notes from partners. And the, the idea behind it is so that they start thinking, what can I do for my people? At that point in time, nothing that what we do is transactional. We truly are trying to provide an experience for people. So the, the, the interesting thing about it, we're trying to do that. And people are doing very thoughtful things. I could, point, I could point to a six-figure deal that we landed in the last eight months that started because one of our vice presidents went above and beyond for a family who had just lost their mother and wow. provided a uh, complimentary sweet night to them and just went so over the top because this family was in a, a time of mourning that that we created again a flashpoint for them that they will always remember and yeah. it just it, it it's really cool that products can can tr- uh, or well really experiences can transcend products
0: so let's go back to our story. Let's keep this now in mind because it is cool. And it's inspiring what you just said. And I saw the picture of that grandfather. You showed it to me now. I mean, we're in a world where when you do give that experience, your customers now can amplify it in ways they never used to, right? I mean, those things get shared and it's not just the right thing to do. It actually also happens to be good for business, right? When you do yeah, it. Uh, absolutely. And, and so that's cool when doing good it also is good for business. Um, So when you are in this world where everything's shut down, you're getting uh, told it's postponed, it's postponed, it's postponed, Um, you know, and then there's going to be a playoff. There's not, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We know how it ended. It was, I mean, what a challenge you went through. Did you have to find new experiences to create since you're in the experience business? Did you have to try and find ways to create different experiences to let customers know that you hadn't forgot about them while, while you're going through this?
1: Yeah. So a couple, couple of things we did um, obviously doing anything in person
0: was just never going to
1: happen. Right. So um, I, I would say the most recent thing we've done example of that is all of our players when they were on the road in Philadelphia did like a virtual town hall with uh, a small group of season ticket holders. And what was really cool about it is I think what we forget is that a lot of, of the players in the NBA are 20-year-olds who might not be comfortable talking in front of a group of 1,000 or 2,000 season ticket holders, just like Good any point. of us. Any of us as human beings might struggle with something like that. And so this was it, it was super unique in that they were all on Zoom together, all of the players. Our digital reporter for the Utah Jazz hosted the event and had some pre- uh, planned questions for them. And you could just see their personalities come out. Well, this is a private event. Joe Ingalls is roasting everyone on the team as they go (laughs) along. And you know, there's like our fans could kind of experience and see some of the inside jokes that they all have with one another. And so that was highly productive. We got a lot of positive feedback from that. So it was things like that. um, Hmm. We ultimately were in a, in a position that um, it would take me too long to explain this to you, so I, I won't necessarily do it right now. But one of the things we've done over the last few years is created a virtual currency product right. that for our season ticket members that kept their money on account with us, yep. we kept their ticket prices flat for this year. And uh, ultimately gave them some additional virtual currency that they're able to use for ticket upgrades, concessions, merchandise, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. So um, that's not super sexy and and fun to talk about. But to your point, it was very, very important for us that uh, we recognized what our season ticket members were doing by keeping their money with us.
0: Let's, let's, let's stay in this vein. I like that you shared a couple of the experiences. How important was it to be decisive pretty quickly rather than take it? Let's see how this thing pans out. Because I remember last year, there was a lot of people that said for the first little while, we're going to just see how this goes. And maybe in some industries you could do that, but where you were with some of the things that you described, was that an option to kind of just not be decisive or did you have to be pretty decisive?
1: Yeah, there were definitely points in time where we were patient and there were a lot of times where we absolutely had to pull the trigger and move quick. And, um, you know, we put our reps on uneven ground a lot and they were, I mean, if you think about it from the perspective of an entry level rep the story I've told about what happened, let's say it's somebody who'd been with us for less than a year and they maybe didn't have a ton of training and experience and they had gone through all of this tumultuous time of people being let go, our customers being a little bit bugged. There, there were a ton of things that had happened. And so we, we had to ask them to do things that had never been done before and to be okay with that and to be brave and at times lead with their chin And that's not really easy to do. Um, So we made decisions quick. We tried to give people the flexibility that if they made a decision and it didn't fit perfectly for the partner, that there was
0: flexibility. I love that. And pause on that for a second, Chris. Yeah, let's 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 hold on that one. Let's drill down on that. So you empowered your reps to come up with ways to be flexibility um, without fear of like, don't screw up. It was, we're all figuring this out together. And, and so you, you kind of fueled creativity from the, from the front line. It wasn't just top down. You, you had everybody help trying to figure that out. Is that, is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yeah. And Rob, what I'd say, I mean, as sales leaders, as employees, as human beings, the best thing we can do is empower people to make decisions. And, I'll believe that to tell my dying days that that, that's probably, I think the number one thing you can do as a leader. We all think we're really smart and that we've arrived. Well, the fact of the matter is we haven't, and we're not the smartest person in the room. At least any good leader surrounds themselves with people who they, who they truly believe are smarter than they are. Yep. And um, I I just, I would say it, it was absolutely critical for us There were obligations we were trying to meet and it is a really tricky thing when your goals and objectives and needs don't always marry with your customer. Like, I think if any of us could look ourselves in the mirror and say, especially those of us in sales, where there's times that it's like, man, my organization might be asking me to do something that's not in the best interest of my customer. And thankfully we were in that position. I think sales leaders, I've heard this from people. I've read, read, uh, industry studies about it of what do you do in that circumstance? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You you empower your rep to take care of your customer. And that, that became, it, it was a very easy conversation because that's what our organization's about is, is taking care of our customers. Um, so thankfully we weren't in a position where our goals and objectives uh, weren't also going to help our customers. We were very, very fortunate. Um, we understand how, how important they are. They're really the lifeblood to what we do. Yep. And so empowering our reps, empowering our people to make decisions was just critical.
0: You also have a lot of leaders because I mean, we haven't gotten into just how broad your organization and what it really comes. You've got a lot of different leaders that work for you, work different reps. I'm guessing you had to empower those leaders. And uh, I'll tell you, I've met a few of them and and you have a really strong leadership group. Uh, I'm guessing you had to empower them differently. And and I'm guessing they played a pretty significant role in helping you navigate this too.
1: Yeah, Rob, here's what I would say. Um, The growth and development I've seen of my leadership team and just all of our employees, Mm. There is a resilience and grit that has been developed over the last calendar, 12 months that have been in my humble estimation, they will be life-changing for these people in the years to come. They've been asked to do things that they never envisioned. And, um, I've learned a lot about people and I've learned a lot about my team and, um, I mean, I could honestly, it's super corny to say this. There's a few people in particular I could genuinely get emotional talking about what I know they've been through so over the cool. last year. And, yeah. and not, not just with work, but mentally what they've been through. They've been trying to educate their children at home. They've had customers absolutely furious with our, our players at one point in time uh, because of, <laughs> of social, social justice issues. And um, which just real quick, I will put a pin in. I, I can't just say enough how grateful I am for the way our organization has supported social justice issues and what those mean to us long-term to, to make our organization better. Really, Amen. really cool stuff. That's a completely different episode. We'll have you we back in six about. months. We'll talk about yeah. that one, brother. <laughs> for the, for the sake, sake of your listeners, it probably should be six years, not six months. But um, just talk, talking about uh, about those leaders. Yeah, the, they were empowered. They made very quick, swift decisions. They made mistakes, which is the most important thing on the planet. You can't be a leader and be scared to make mistakes it sit is impossible
0: on sit on that i want to talk about that say that again and let's go one layer two layers deeper because yeah. i think that's massive for our listeners
1: yeah I, I just i would say if if you truly believe you're a leader you are not scared to make mistakes and you are not scared to empower people that you know will make mistakes um it's, it's interesting. We talk about this in parenting all the time that you need to let your kids make mistakes. And there's the whole helicopter parent thing that, and, and, and that then morphed to, I believe lawnmower parents. It, it applies to the workplace as well. If you helicopter over your team or you mow the lawn in front of your team all the time, they're not going to be in a position. if, if we view ourselves as being promotable at some point in time in any organization wherein the people behind you have to be ready to take your role. If you're too controlling and you gate everything around your world, you will never have a person in a position to take your role. It is a huge mistake. It truly is the essence of the principle of stewardship. Um, and I should be right now, Rob, and this is a huge focus of mine. Preparing my role for the person who comes after it. The greatest compliment I could ever pay to the organization is that whoever is the next chief revenue officer of the Jazz does a better job than me. And I would say my last two roles, the people who are currently in them, are doing a better job than I did in them. And I would like to think that I had a small hand in paving the way for them to ultimately come into that role and just be awesome. And they are, they're great they're doing a better job than I did. So um, yeah, a- anyway, that, that, that being able to allow your people to make mistakes will ultimately make you a better leader and long-term it's going to make them a better employee.
0: All right, man, we're, we're down to 10 minutes. We got left and this has been fantastic. I knew it was going to go fast. You've given us a masterclass right now. And I want to, I want to come to the end of the story. I want to fast forward Kind of to now, I want to ask you kind of a couple things first. One of the things that struck me the first time I ever met you, and it strikes me again as I talk to you now, is you two things. It's you have this amazing attention to details, and, and you're clearly a passionate fan and a believer in what you do. Now, I know that being a fan of your product is important probably for your world, but I actually think Being a fan of your own product is important no matter what you sell. I think that sales is that transfer of enthusiasm. I think the first sale has to happen in the heart of the person that's representing the organization. Any thoughts on on that and if that was helpful for you and your team at all in getting through this?
1: Yeah. um, Yes. Our employees absolutely love the Utah Jazz. Nice. It it makes it easy for them. Rob, at its core, it's a sales job. They have goals they have to hit. They, they have uh, KPIs that we're asking them to meet. Yeah. At its core, it is a sales job. And oftentimes people think, oh, you, you work for the Jazz. Like that must be super fun. And I think our sellers are probably like, well, yeah, it's fun. But my, my sales leader kicks my butt because I'm not where I need to be. And yeah, so you
0: didn't double in sales in a few years by accident. That wasn't just yeah. you guys. You guys had to go out and get that. Yeah,
1: our people are very, very passionate about what they do. They're passionate about our partners. They're passionate about the the product on the court, and it really does end up putting them in a position where uh, they they jump out of bed to come to work most mornings. And we're highly sensitive to employee engagement surveys, okay. and um, so when people aren't in, where they don't have that feeling, it immediately creates an environment that we have things we need to fix.
0: So let's, let's use that to get into this final stage. Now we're on the other end of it. Uh, NBA teams are allowing fans back in. I had the opportunity to see some of that and and it was an amazing experience. I want to thank you for giving me that experience. And, and, uh, and I watched the fans. There was this feeling of people were just glad to be back. Right. It was just, they were so Mm -hmm. glad to be back. But as I met with you and I met with some of your sales leaders, um, one of the things that I heard you and a couple of your leaders say to me as we were talking that night was not only um, did you make it, but the company, you know, the organization's actually, there's in some ways you're better off, you're stronger. You, you've used it as an opportunity to do some things different that you probably could have done, but success makes it so maybe you don't. Any any thoughts about how you use this as an opportunity to to make maybe some changes that make you even better as a result of going through this.
1: Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, I've learned a ton about our people during yeah. this time timeframe. Um, it's actually interesting. And, and again, this this just adds layers to this year of tumult for our people. We had an ownership change in, right. in December.
0: So was that and, like for you as the guy running revenue, that's going to be like, now I got this too. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, thankfully, like it wasn't, there wasn't a huge unknown. Um, Qualtrics had been a huge partner of ours with yep. five for the fight and everything they're doing. Um, you know, I, I had occasion to talk to Ryan a, a, a few times before that. And so it, it wasn't this gigantic unknown um, which I think sometimes happens in ownership changes, but we have viewed this as an opportunity. We're in a very, very successful place. But how do we now take things and disrupt them one more time? We've done a lot of disruptive things over the last four years. How do we disrupt things again? What is the next evolution of our business? Um, you know, where, where are we going kind of a thing? So there's, there's no question that I, the last year has made us better. Um, it's made our, our people, I think it's made people more thoughtful. I think they're really concerned about people's mental state and where people are at. And that will be something that I really hope we don't lose. You know, just as we we were kind of challenged publicly by government officials, um, thought leaders that we needed to be sensitive to people's isolation and really make sure we're checking in on people. I think we're now going to have to do that on the back end as we start to engage people in groups again. We need to be sensitive to to people joining groups again and being comfortable with that. And there's so much humanity in meeting with people face-to-face that we will lose if we don't find a way to bring people back. And that was what was so important to us about having fans at jazz games. There's something habitual about coming to a jazz game bringing your son or daughter, bringing a business associate associate, sitting down, enjoying a jazz game, creating memories that last forever. Yep. And we did not want that to go away. And so we have fought like hell to have fans <laughs> and um, to do it safely. And we've tried to be incredibly reasonable and not push too much, but push just enough. And you know, hopefully we'll be in a position that as the country gets vaccinated and, and things get to a different place that next October, when the NBA starts in what will be hopefully a normal season, we aren't going to have to crawl. We're not going to have to walk, but we will be in a dead sprint. Um, again, from an experience standpoint with our partners.
0: Yeah, man, I like it. You were a year ago, you were on that tip of the lance and watching the league shut down. And today you're on the tip of the lance hmm. again. You're out in front helping that league rebound, right? That's pun kind of desired on that one, right? Sure. And, um, and, and the experience that you've shared has been fantastic. Uh, I love what you said about your, you know, your, your lens of how do we disrupt? The year's made us better. What can we do different? How can we be more thoughtful? I think those things translate, uh, they transcend sports. I, th- I think those are things that every sales leader should be slotting down into their little viewfinder. Remember those little red viewfinders? You hold oh, up yeah. Up there? We sure. should put those lenses in. How do I look at the world saying, how do I disrupt? How do I you know, get better? I-, I love that. Any final thoughts or kind of final points? In fact, I- I'd love to, ch- to pr- do it this way you have a great quote on pressure. Could could you share that quote with our listeners and, and maybe we finish with that?
1: Yeah. So it's funny you, when you were about ready to say, do you have anything else you would share? I would just say, I think every sales leader that has a sales team reporting to them, this group of human beings that are looking to you for leadership and guidance and stewardship, there is a significant pressure that comes along with that. Um, and, that pressure in my mind is a privilege. And there are a lot of things we can all do in this world that you may not have a lot of pressure on you. Being a father is, I, I feel pressure doing that. I feel pressure being a leader in our organization. That Those things are absolutely a privilege. And I think it's a mindset thing that if you if you can view things as it being a privilege rather than being a weight on you, Um, you really can lift some people and lift their burdens, take them to the next level. I think that's where we as human beings really do derive joy is Mm. when we see another person develop and grow and achieve success, that that's where we derive joy, whether it's our child, whether it's somebody that has worked with us for years, when we see them be successful, there is a it's the whole proud papa thing of like, wow, okay. Like I've worked with this person for a long time and I've watched them grow and develop. That's the coolest thing that we as sales leaders get to do. There's a ton of pressure with it, but that pressure is absolutely a privilege.
0: I love that. The the privilege <clears throat> of pressure. That is that is something that I hope everyone can take, everyone can can learn from, everybody gets better with. Yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here in a second. I'm gonna ask you the same things I ask everybody, and I hope that we have a few thousand people that are gonna be cheering for the Jazz and the playoffs now, man. And, and watching that with a different look as they've gotten a, a little bit of insight from you. Let, let's go to that rapid fire real fast, and then we'll shut this down and give people uh, a way that can continue to learn more from you. And, and so you you ready? You ready for three questions real, you real bet. fast? Let's go. Okay, Let's man. Go, man. Biggest, sales lead- biggest sales leadership challenge you see, and how do you beat it? Um,
1: I think coming out of COVID and the Zoom world that we have been in, um, how we ultimately preserve face to face relationships and the meaning that they have to all of us. Um, and I and I don't mean obviously that may not really impact somebody that's in inside sales. But I I would just say for those of us that that aren't in that environment, how we navigate that landscape going forward, because at the end of the day, these are all relationships. And I just believe it's very, very difficult
0: to preserve long lasting relationships over
1: the phone or over Zoom.
0: Beautiful. Number two, when you're building a team, and you're hiring people, do you have like a go-to topic or even maybe an interview question that you go to? And what are you looking for when you leverage it?
1: Um, Yeah. So I'd say there's a couple of things I always want to know about people. I've, I've had things as silly as asking people what their favorite animal is. Okay. And, or like if they, if they had a superpower, what would it be kind of a thing? And honestly, really all you're trying to drill down on that is to find out how thoughtful somebody is. And (laughs) if, if, if they can take an an obtuse or abstract thought process and immediately synthesize something, one thing I I learned from, from a friend that I love to do, this is a little bit, I would say non-traditional. From what you talked about, but it is, I think it says something about somebody. You bring somebody in for a job interview, and before they are out in your lobby, you litter on the ground. And you find out if on their way in, those people bend over and pick up that trash and put it in the garbage.
0: It says something about people. That's great. Love it. All right, last one, Chris leaders or readers? Uh, you got several thousand people listening to you right now that are either in sales leadership positions or they want to get a a job similar to yours. Anything you would say that has been helpful from something to read uh, that might help their sales leadership or their leadership career?
1: Yeah. So two quick things. I'll tell you what I love to read is history. And it's a little bit untraditional. Like I think a lot of people spend a lot of time reading sales leadership books Highly recommend that you continue to do that. Yep. One that I'm looking at right now and, and reading for, this is the third time, is How Will You Measure Your Life? Um, by Clayton it. Clayton Christensen, Harvard Business School professor. Very, very just simple, quick read. The thing I love about it is it really, it causes some introspection in how you're living your life. The reason I say history is... Um, there's so much context, for instance, with the Wright brothers. You want to learn about innovation? God bless you, Steve Jobs. You're one of the greatest innovators of all time. Go read about the Wright brothers who put the first airplane in the air. You want yeah. to learn about true innovation and about being gritty? Like, go read about the Wright brothers love and it. Go, read, go read David McCullough's book about the Wright brothers. So that's why I love history is I just think – the, the the evolution and ingenuity and innovation of um, those that came before us in the United States is so incredible.
0: All right, brother, we are two minutes long and I, I apologize to you for going long and I'm sorry, but uh, this was even better than I expected, Chris. You, this was so fun for me. Our listeners will be better leaders because of it. How do they get more of you? How do they connect with you? How do they? How do they? Uh, you know, because if we have all these new jazz fans. How, what should they do if they want to start following what you guys are doing?
1: Well, I would. I'd love for anybody to reach out to me that I could connect with. Again, those human interactions and connections are my very favorite thing on the planet. My email address is the best way. See okay. Barney. See Barney at utahjazz.com. I'm on LinkedIn as well, and. Um, like I said, any, anybody that's interested in connecting with me, I'd, I'd sure appreciate it.
0: All right, man. He, uh, he has had a unique view of this thing that everybody's gone through in, in, in a lens that very few people have had. He shared, kind of pulled back the curtain and shared not only you know, how you survived, but how do you get to crisis uh, recovery and, and thrive, And it's because he understands that privilege of pressure. And I hope you enjoyed the masterclass that we all just got today on navigating stormy waters and coming out stronger. Chris, my man, thank you so much for joining us. I usually say happy selling, but I'm going to change it today. Today, I'm going to say thanks for joining us and go jazz.
1: Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it, bro.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by the Jeffson Performance Group. Sales leadership is more important now than it has ever been. Chris just spoke with us about how they changed so many of their experiences and how they had to reinvent a lot of things in order to come out stronger as a result of the new changes they faced. So I don't care if you're a brand new sales leader or one of the most senior And seasoned sales leaders or someone in between, everything's got to be rethought from how we solve problems and even what those problems are to how we build performance and we do it in predictable ways. Things like how we connect with people we lead and, and the ways that we help develop them, those are all being redefined and they need to be. But I don't want you to feel like you're on your own as you do it. The Jepson Performance Group is here to help. We help individual sales leaders of teams or individual sales leaders in three places they directly interact with their sales teams, helping win deals, driving individual one-on-one development and coaching, and then having sales meetings that people would buy a ticket to attend. You got to have all three of those be awesome. You need to be elite in all three of those places because there's so much more than that in being a great sales leader, but those are the three places we interact with our sales people. Great leaders, they provide step-by-step instructions. They provide elite levels of sales of support, and they provide mindset and skill set coaching. And you don't have to reinvent that. We want to help. Now, if you do want to do it yourself, check out my Patreon community, Sales Leadership United. I share what I'm seeing. I'm sharing my content, and I'm helping people all around the world each week, and I share it with you there. If you want someone in your corner and you want to do something big that scales, We at the Jepson Performance Group can help you get where you want to get faster than you thought possible. The greatest sales leaders know time is their most precious resource, so save time and give us a call because we got you. Now, I can't tell you how excited I was for this conversation with Chris Barney of the Jazz. We've all had COVID affect us personally and our businesses in different ways, but Chris's story is really unique. His team was the one that was right on the spear of the lance. It was a team that had the first diagnosis of covid uh, and that led to the entire NBA shutting down uh, and then the shutdown of live events in general. And to hear his story on how they navigated this time and are now also on the tip of that lance leading the charges, the NBA is back in business has been fun. It's interesting. I, I hope if, if nothing else, it's a really interesting story for you to kind of peel back the curtains and see what it looked like. But as I went back and I listened to Chris's blueprint for navigating the storm he faced. What I found was it's a killer blueprint for having high growth team in sales, no matter what the environment is, with or without a pandemic, with or without like some kind of disaster. One of the first things Chris talked about was empowerment. Chris talked about and really emphasized that people need to be able to make mistakes without the fear of repercussions. It's a big issue right now. My friend Scott Lees just barely has been sharing some examples on LinkedIn about sales leaders ruling with an iron fist and the kind of damage that creates. On the flip side, empowerment makes it so you can encourage creativity. And this makes it so you can truly tap into the best each member of your team has to offer. So if you see people just doing what you say and then no more and no less, if you see people just sticking to the script and not deviating... You might be able to benefit from some empowerment in your organization. Take some time and some reflection around this. Chris benefited from the best his team had to offer. And he's quick to point out that they were the reason his team has been so successful in creating new experiences for their customers. Which takes me to the next key thing I learned with Chris. He emphasizes experiences. At one point, he shared that the experience transcends the product. I love that. The experience transcends the product. And that doesn't just apply to the MBA. It applies to everyone. As part of the sales process, we should make sure that we have key experiences that a customer experiences as we take them through our process. Each phase of the customer retention and expansion phase should also be an experience. I loved watching him move a grandfather and that grandson to the front row. And I loved hearing him tell the stories of how his team is actively looking for ways to create experiences for their customers and then celebrate the victories uh, they, you know, on this victory whiteboard they have that that they get from customers and people when they say thank you for what you've done. Chris told me he had 18,306 experiences they need to create at every single game, not just 18,306 tickets to sell. Big difference. And changing the experiences during COVID was one of the key things they did to keep season ticket holders happy when things were being worked out. Chris shared a couple of them on the show. But there were a lot more than that. They found ways to do a lot of things differently in order to make sure the needs of the customer and the needs of the organization were both met. That's important. Our job as sales leaders is to figure out how we align what our customers need with what our company needs. And when we do that, really important things can happen. So remember, experiences are part of the culture you create as a leader. Don't just talk about these experiences. right? You need to commit to these. You know, my friend Dale Dupree does a killer job with this and, and every single one of us can too. The right experiences will lead the growth goals that you have being achieved. Create experiences about how you create awareness, how you educate, how you demonstrate, okay? But create experiences because that's what will make you legendary and unforgettable. So if you haven't re- revisited your experiences, do it this week. Find ways to create something that will be super memorable for your customers at every step of the way. And you'll find it's a game changer. Now, final thing that he talked about was the belief that everybody had in their product. He mentioned that everyone on his team loves the jazz. And I thought that was really important for us to know. It wasn't just because it's a sports team. They had this belief that the jazz make, you know, what it does in the community and what it does for the people that come. It's a difference maker. And what they, that that's contagious. That belief is something that people spread. And you have to believe as a sales leader that what you bring to customers will make the lives of those customers better or easier, that those people are better off working with you than if you hadn't done business with them. That belief is something that's contagious, and you need every member of your team to have that because this belief in what you have makes a difference, that helps you overcome fear in sales. It helps you overcome reluctance to reach out to those you serve. It it makes it easier for you to find that confidence in engaging potential customers or existing customers. And belief that what you do matters is one of the greatest tools a sales leader can offer to their team. Because once an entire team believes us, there's no limit to how successful they will be. But I got to think that my favorite part of the conversation was summarized in Chris's outlook on the job a sales leader has when he said pressure is a privilege, because he's right. The more you treat pressure as a privilege, the more attention to the small details you'll have, just as Chris does. Go back and listen to him. The number of seats in the arena, the precise dates, the names of the people, the roads they sit in, scores of the game. And as I've gotten to know Chris personally, I've learned that he knows every single thing that creates horsepower to his sales engine. He leaves very little to chance. He has a plan, but he also has the right people, and then they all do their job. And the result? It's been impressive. Something each one of us can model in our own orgs. So when I listened to Chris, I was reminded of one of my favorite quotes. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. He didn't see pressure as a problem. It doesn't turn him into dust. Pressure turns him and his team into diamonds. So here's to treating pressure pressure as a privilege. Here's to empowering people, creating experiences, and finding our way to aligning the needs of our customers with the goals of the companies we serve. Chris, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for your story and your blueprint. You've made a difference in the lives of a lot of people, and we have thousands of listeners around the world that are better off for having heard our conversation today. I hope we have a new bunch of jazz fans. Not because uh, not only do the jazz have the top record in the NBA on the court, uh, but for us, the sales community, they have one of the top sales teams in sports and entertainment market today. And that's something that we can all cheer for. So as the NBA season goes on, I hope there's just a few more fans that give the team a look as a result of this show. But mostly, thanks to each one of your listeners. Listen, if you like what you heard today, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. This helps more people find us and makes it easier to keep bringing you fantastic guests. I am grateful to each one of you. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful that you would listen to our show. And I wish you an outstanding week and wish you only the best with the teams you lead. So here's to treating pressure as a privilege. And as always, don't worry. Just execute, because we got you, and go Jazz. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jeppg.com. That's rob at jepg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner,